0: hello everyone this is andre the co-founder of twins tours and travel in jerusalem in israel born into a christian Maronite family and i'm a licensed tour guide and an ordained minister of the gospel i have been leading numerous groups throughout the holy land for almost 20 years also i'm an author of several books and you can find them in amazon and one of the first books i wrote called One Friday in Jerusalem speaks about my life story. So, join me for a journey of 10 days to understand the heart and the mind of Jesus and to understand the Bible in a deeper way with more details through the Middle Eastern perspective. Please share this podcast with your friends and families and churches and connect with me if you have any questions. Welcome to day number seven. We just finished visiting Megiddo and we are. Ascending in the bus up on Mount Carmel. The mountain stone formation is a mixture of limestone and flint. And this mountain has so many caves and all is covered with volcanic rocks. And the slope side of the mountain is covered with a lot of vegetation and agriculture, as you see. Is you see a lot of oak trees, pine. Trees, olive trees, you see also Atlantic pistachio and other rural trees you have to understand that the mountain ranges approximately between 4 to 5 miles wide in width and 25 miles long and its slopes gradually towards the southwest and by forming a steep ridge on the northern side And this is where we are heading to our location, Mount Carmel, where Prophet Elijah conquered the gods of Baal. And that peak is around 1,791 feet high or 546 meters. And we're going to see views to the Jezreel Valley. So you have to understand that this mountain is a natural barrier in the landscape just as the jezreel valley forms a natural passageway and as a result of this mountain range and the valley passage have a large impact on invasions of empires and migration of people through the fertile crescent over time so so many battles and so many bible stories took place in these two locations so the mountain ridge and the valley passage is so much important and we spoke in Megiddo about all these wars and we're going to expand more about stories in the bible that took place on mount carmel there is one important story prophet Elisha and the two bears It's mentioned in 2nd Kings chapter 2 verses 23 to 25. Let me read it for you. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young men came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Verse 24. When he looked behind him and saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up forty-two men of their number. And he went from there to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. And you can see that this story took place in the Northern Kingdom and that was the capital of uh, the Kingdom of Israel of the north. And you can see that Elisha traveled in Bethel, in Samaria, and Mount Carmel. And straight after he traveled to Carmel, cursing a group of young men, because they had mocked him, and they told him, like, go on up, bold man. Probably he had no hair, so this is why they said, bold man. And after they mocked him, bears came out of the forest, and killed 42 of them again we see God protecting his children let me expand more on this story prophet Elijah was exposed through opposition and persecution and mocking and many bible teachers of the gospel and pastors and believers that are involved in the ministry of the word of God can expect opposition can expect people mocking it mocking them and this is clearly evident in this story and this is one of the key lessons of these few verses this was true also to Moses Elijah and all the prophets we can expect attack from the world which lies under the control of Satan but it is very sad when the attacks come from the people of God, from the believers themselves. Unfortunately, Satan is able to use God's own people to hinder his words, as he did with the children of Israel on many occasions. Let me give you an example of this story that the King James Version say, like little children, which really misses the meaning here. They are not children. Other translations use the word young lads, and which literally means young men. The word lads in Hebrew is called na'ar, nun, ayin, resh, na'ar, which literally means young men. So they're not children, they're young men, like adults. And perhaps they were students of the false prophets who were opposing Elisha' prophetic ministry and authority. Look what Elisha did. He took up his armor. He cursed them in the name of the Lord. This is not a cursing for like despise. Or just uh, for only cursing. He was. This is kind of trusting the Lord. And leaving it in God's hands. They came here in the word curse. It does not mean to swear with vile words in Hebrew Galal the original language Galal which means Gimel Aleph Lamed Aleph Lamed Galal which means roll away or be swift or like uh, slight or of little account so the original word Galal means just move away it's not uh, translated as curse precisely so move away. And so Elisha as a prophet saw their hardened and rebellious conditions and they were not responsive for correction. And he said in the name of the Lord, Elisha simply turned them over to the Lord. And we know what happened next. Two birds showed up and killed all these the forty two men that mocked Elisha. And you have to understand that Elisha did not call the bears, but God called the bears and revenged for prophet Elisha. And Elisha found refuge in Mount Carmel. And we can see that description also in the book of Amos. The location of Mount Carmel became a refuge. And also we learn about the Book of Kings, also that Prophet Elijah had a refuge in one of the caves in Mount Carmel. And according to the historian Strabo, the Greek geographer and philosopher, he said it had continued to be a place of refuge until the first century, Mount Carmel. Due to the lush vegetation on the slopes, hillside, and many caves on the steeper side where we are heading, Mount Carmel became the haunt of criminals. Carmel was seen as a place offering an escape from Yahweh, as implied by the book of Amos. Amos chapter 9 verse 3. Let me read it for you. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. And according also to the famous Jewish historian Josephus Flavius, he mentions that Mount Carmel had been the stronghold of the Essenes and that came from a place in Galilee and also it had been a stronghold for the Zealots and if you heard about the Zealots the fanatic Jews also that lived in uh, Galilee area and they were against the Roman empire and they did not want to pay taxes so they found remote locations such as Mount Carmel to defend themselves against the Romans and according to the Bishop of Salamis in Cyprus, Epiphanos, Bishop Epiphanus, he mentions like Mount Carmel as a refuge place for the early church fathers in the 4th century. And later when the crusaders came, they found refuge in Mount Carmel and founded the Carmelite order in the 12th century. And based on a cave that they believe that the grotto or the cave where Elijah stayed. And since the 12th century, we've known about the site of Mount Carmel where we are heading to called Muharraqa. And also not only Christians believe in that location, Jewish and Muslim traditions speaks about Prophet Elijah. And he lived on a cave on Mount Carmel also during world war one mount carmel played a significant strategic role and the battle of megiddo took place at the head of a pass through the carmel ridge and the jezreel valley and general alembi led the british in a battle against the ottoman turks the ottoman empire so the mountain attracts people for refuge and we are aware of a Druze community That found refuge and live on the mountain Mount Carmel let me explain for you a little bit about the Druze as we are in the bus before we arrive to the top of Mount Carmel and probably worldwide there is one million Druze Druze D-R-U-Z-E not Jews Druze and mainly they live in Syria and Lebanon And there's around 100,000 in Israel, and we have around 18,000 in the Golan, and several thousands who immigrated also outside Israel to Europe and North and South America. So mostly, mostly they come from the Middle East, the Druze community. And the Druze community in Israel has a special standing among the country's minority groups. Because the members of the community serves in the IDF, Israel Defense Forces, in the Israeli army. And they have really attained high level positions and in military spheres and also in political influence. In the Druze religion, it is written that they have to obey their government. So they have to be obedient to the authority over them. Let me explain for you more about the Druze religion. The Druze religion has its roots in Islam. It's a very religious philosophical movement and is affected by the Fatimid Khalif in Egypt in the 10th century. And it's a blend of Islamic monotheism with Greek philosophy and Hindu influence like meditation most of the Druze community settled in southern Lebanon and uh, let's go back a little bit in history by during the Turkish conquest of Syria 1516 the Druze lived in the hill country near Aleppo and there were and the mountains of Lebanon and Syria and there was a lot of riots between the Lebanese Druze and the Maronite Christians and I don't know if you heard about the riots of the peasants that took place in 1860, that the Maronites were able to control all Mount Lebanon over the Druze, and the Druze got upset, and they done the genocide, and they killed so many Maronites until the end of the rule of the Ottoman Turkish Empire, 1918. The Druze were governed as semi-autonomous community. But in 1921, the French tried to set up a Druze state under the French mandate because they wanted the power, but the French, but their attempts have failed. And the Druze in Galilee and on Mount Carmel have always kept in contact with their community in like Syria and Lebanon. Some of the beliefs and traditions, the Druze consider their faith to be a new interpretation of the three monolithic religions Judaism, Christianity and Islam. For them the traditional story of the creation is a parable which describes Adam not as the first human being but as the first person to believe in one God. And since then the idea of monotheism has been spread by prophets guided by mentors Who embody the spirit of monotheism? They believe in the incarnation of spirits. And the mentors and prophets come from all three religions, as I said, and include Jethro, Jethro, the father of law of Moses. And they believe in Moses. They believe in John the Baptist. And they believe in Jesus of Nazareth and Muhammad. And they say all are reincarnations of the same monotheistic idea. So in addition, the Druze hold other influential people regardless of their religion as advocates of justice and belief in one God. And they believe also in Greek philosophers such as Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle. And they believe in Alexander the Great. So they believe and recognize these three monotheistic religions. They believe that rituals and ceremonies have caused Jews, Christians, and Muslims to turn aside from the pure faith. The Druze eliminated all elements of rituals and ceremony. So there is no fixed daily liturgy, and no defined holy days among the Druze, and no pilgrimage obligations. So the Druze perform their prayers with God at all the times and consequently need no special days of fasting or atonement. And when they go to pray, they go to a room called Chilwe, which literally means a closet, and this room is like have no like images or no signs of anything to worship God. It's so simple. So they believe that no rituals have to take place and they go and meditate and pray. So it's a very secret religion and it's closed religion. No one can convert to become a Druze. The Druze do not believe in polygamy Uh, they have only one wife and they are very hospitable people and they are very educated and they believe in the five books of Moses only and they have their own books they're called the books of wisdom so it's a very wise religion and actually they took the best parts of all the religions that are there and they made their own books of wisdom and there are two kinds of the Druze one kind called Rokkal, which literally means the enlightened ones the knowers of the religion and they have to be at age 40 in order to understand the religion they say you can't understand the Druze religion until you are at age 40 and there is also the Juhal which is the ignorant ones these are the Druze that were not enlightened and just follow the religion as a tradition And they don't want to go deeper in faith now the bus is approaching the top of the mountain I will prepare the group and inform them that we will do something different at Mount Carmel we will not visit the Crusader Church or the Carmelite monastery to be more precise because it's so crowded with tourists and I would like to take you all to an offbeat track to hike on the top of the mountain itself it's for around 15 minutes and this hike will lead us to a specific lookout over the Jezreel valley and there I will do the teaching and I asked them are you open about this idea by the way by <laughs> this time the group got used to my different approach to take them to more desolate places than seeing the churches and seeing uh, the traditional locations but I take them to offbeat places and to show them more real things because these are the more genuine locations of the stories of the Bible But do not misunderstand me. Churches are important. They preserve the history and the meaning of the stories of the gospel and the traditions. But I like to run away from the tourists, to run away from the crowds, and teach where it's less packed and no people. And the group is very happy because they learn to trust me when we go to offbeat locations. And they will understand the scripture in a deeper way. So we will hike on Mount Carmel through this offbeat track. And by the way, this hike is not an easy one. The path is full with steps and limestones and big volcanic rocks. But I will lead the group and it will take us around 15 minutes hike to reach to the lookout. But everyone loves the hike and they enjoy it so much especially when we arrive to the lookout now everyone is impressed of the view They are talking between each others about how everyone loved this hike and then after that excitement i will just wait for them to calm down and i find a spot that all the group can be seated on the limestones and looking at the magnificent views at the same time seeing the Kishon River down in the valley and then I will start teaching from scripture when everyone is seated I will tell them welcome to mount Carmel in Hebrew Carmel is Kerem El which literally means the vineyards of God Kerem is vineyards El is God also it means the fruitful fertile and lush vineyards and fields mount carmel and i will read from scripture from first kings 18 16 to 40 so please open your bibles and follow with me because i will divide the teaching into three parts first i will read first kings 18 16 to 19 and then i do explanation and teaching second i will read from first kings 18 20 to 29 and thirdly from first kings 18 30 to 40. so let us read first first kings 18 16 to 19. so badia went to meet ahab and told him and ahab went to meet elijah when he saw elijah he said to him is that you you troubler of Israel verse 18 I have not made trouble for Israel Elijah replied but you and your father's family have you have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baal verse 19 now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who at Jezebel's table. So it's mentioned about Obadiah went to meet Ahab. Who was Obadiah? Obadiah was the leader, who was in charge in Ahab's palace. And Obadiah had hid a hundred prophets of Yahweh in two caves, fifty in each, to protect them from Jezebel, Ahab's wife. Let me read it for you earlier in Scripture, First Kings eighteen four. While Jezebel was killing of the Lord's prophets, Abadia had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifteen each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab, little background about him, he was the son of Omri. His father, King Omri, was a successful king in successful in military campaigns. Who extended the northern kingdom of Israel. And we know that he was so much corrupt. And like his son also. He became so much corrupt. And King Ahab. Is the seventh king of Israel. Since the beginning of the divided monarchy. Following Solomon's death. Remember Jeroboam. He was the first of the corrupt kings of the north. And remember he raised two false worship altars one in Bethel and one in Dan so every king followed the sin of Jeroboam so King Ahab reigned over the northern kingdom of Israel from 871 to 852 BC let me expand more about background in history to understand the story of prophet Elijah and King Ahab and in 922 BC the nation of Israel was torn into two nations Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And that's what started the civil war between both of them. And the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, was full of internal tribal differences. And they did not listen to the Lord. And they created their own gods and altars and worshipped false prophets. As a result, they became vulnerable to frequent invasions in the beginning of the 9th century BC a Phoenician princess named Jezebel was born she was the daughter of the king of Tyre his name was king Ishbal and the Bible does not describe her childhood but it is assumed that she lived in a fine home and was so much educated and her family worshiped so many gods and one of the most important gods was Baal while Jezebel was growing into a woman Israel crowned a new king to create an alliance with Israel King Omri, the father of Ahab he arranged a marriage for his son to marry Jezebel so it's an arranged marriage and this is needed for political alliance And the two kings and the queen, Ahab and Jezebel, worked together to spread idol worship of Baal and fought against the prophets of Yahweh. And because of all these actions, this caused the Jewish people to follow all these different gods. And God had to send a prophet to save them. And in the 1860s BC, King Ahab of Israel called the prophet Elijah a troublemaker. And you can see his point, for it was through Elijah and at his word that a great drought had come upon the land. And after nearly three years and six months of this situation, everything became desolate. And there is not enough rain, and there is no rain, there is no food, there is no food, there is no life, and everyone, everything is dry. And again, Ahab said to Elijah, the troublemaker, and blamed the drought to be caused by Elijah. And you have to understand that Mount Carmel is the wettest place in Israel. If Carmel dries up, means all northern Israel is dry. And let me explain why did Elijah pray that it might not rain? Not because he was like impervious to human suffering, not because he took a delight in, witnessing the misery of his nation and neighbors but because he put the glory of God before everything else even before his own natural he put the glory of God first and remember what was happening in the kingdom of Israel daily the tide of evil of worshiping the God of Baal rose higher and higher and Elijah was like very jealous for the Lord God And he was a righteous man whose prayers prevail with God. He puts the honor of the Lord before every other consideration. And he was so much disturbed by the horrible insults against Yahuwah. And he longed to see him given his rightful place again in Israel because they messed up. And look what King Ahab tried to blame the prophet Elijah. And he said, had not Elijah brought great trouble on the nation? No, says Elijah to Ahab, I am not the troublemaker, but it is you. For it was under Ahab that the worship of the Phoenicians' deity Baal had entered the land of Israel. And Israel had abandoned the commandments of the Lord, or Yahweh, the God of the Bible so Yahweh had sent Elijah to call the nation back to repent and the process started with the drought for it was only by bringing the people and the king to their knees that they could be brought to repent and here is the prophet showing up at the right timing so Elijah was God's agent working for his people for recovery and Ahab was the real troublemaker because he was responsible for the decline of the nation and because he was responsible in bringing sin to the nation by worshiping false god. So why did Elijah specially choose Mount Carmel for the confrontation of the god of Baal? Mount Carmel is in the upper Galilee, receives the most rain in present day and probably in ancient times too, somewhere between 30 to 40 inches per year. This means Mount Carmel is the place where as the lushest vegetation is found, and the most agriculture is the mostly heavily, like, agriculture place in the land of Israel. And the background of the story, that there were three years and six months, and it did not rain. There was not enough rain on Mount Carmel. And the story says that the God of Baal is the God of the high mountains. is the God of rain and wind and clouds. So here is Prophet Elijah coming to Mount Carmel, the specific location. Going as if the playground or the home of Baal, and this is where Baal is the strongest, this is his hometown, so Elijah is conquering Baal at his own house, because Baal is the god of thunder and storm, this is his home turf, so the people will see whose god is stronger, and you have to understand that the Jews followed this this god Baal, a god they thought would bring them rain, But instead brought God's punishment to them, a drought, a famine. Let me explain more about the God of Baal. Baal means lord or master or husband. And his mate was a fertility goddess or sister or wife, Asherah. Baal is the God of storms, rain and lightning. The perfect God for a farmer to worship. But it was a strange religion affected by the Phoenicians. Like the Baal worship involved offering animal sacrifices where priests would be responsible and even made their sons pass through sometimes these sacrifices. If there was no rain they sacrificed their own children. And male and female prostitutes were available to worshippers to inspire the fertility of both the land and the people. And Baal was usually associated with a bull and with a threatening lightning bolt in his hand. His whole presence shouted, I am the one who gives life fertility through rain. And Baal is also the god of farming of the Canaanites too. And it was in direct position all the time to the God of Israel. And you have to remember that the Jewish people used to wander in the desert. And their profession was shepherds. So they knew the desert. And they come from harsh environment with no water. And coming here to this land, to a fertile land with Baal worshipped. And a lot of farming and a lot of water brought them identity crisis. Who is the true God of life that we deserve to worship? So they got confused and instead worshiped the God of Baal because it's like he gave them everything, water, life, abundance, fertility, and that's what they needed to survive. So let us read from 1 Kings 18 verse 19. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eats at Jezebel's table. So what we read here, who against who? We have Yahweh versus Baal and Asherah. So we have 450 false prophets of Baal and another 400 false prophets of Asherah his wife or his sister, against one prophet, Elijah. So we have one prophet versus 850 false prophets. Good versus evil. So we have Ahab's God and Elijah's God meet in a showdown at Mount Carmel. This is like odd. The numbers are not proportional upside down kingdom because it's not about numbers it's all about the heart and actually the intentions of the heart the obedient heart that trusts God it's all about righteousness and no sin it's all about the essence of the God of Israel and you know what is the essence of the God of Israel? It is His Holiness. And Elijah recognized that. And he worshipped the only, the one God of Yahweh, the true God of Israel. Let me explain for you what do the name Elijah means in Hebrew. That will lead us to understand Yahuwah. Elijah means El-Yahuwah. Elijah, El-Yahuwah, means God is Yahuwah, and Yahuwah in Hebrew originates from the following words, Haya is the past, Hove is the present, Yahya is the future, so Yahuwah is the past, is the present, is the future, in Hebrew, Elijah, El-Yahuwah, El-Yahuwah, which means my God is the Lord he is the past the present and the future so this is the identity of Elijah Elijah's calling is to prove that the God of Israel is the real God his name is his calling his name is his identity his name is his character It's so simple you ask me anything in the scripture I will answer you Hebrew I go back to the meaning of the name and we know the calling of Elijah to bring people to worship the real God of Israel this is his name this is his calling in life and Yahuwah means the past and the present and the future he is God so prophets speak the word of God Elijah is a prophet he declares the truth prophets do not compromise like other people because of that the people do not like prophets this is why Ahab did not like the prophet and you know God has called many people to be prophets those are faithful and true followers of the living God of Israel so the role of the prophet is to carry the voice of God to the people. To carry the truth when people go astray. So they call people to repent because they want them to know the real God and before a disaster will happen. So we should honor the prophets among us Because they have difficult lives, they also lead lives of confidence and faith in the word of God. And they did not choose to be prophets, they are called by God for their task, specific task in history. And they are people like me and you, but they surrendered everything to God. So we know that from the story Elijah refused to compromise, and God used him to expose the fertility. And the God of God, the false God. And Elijah depended completely on God and not on man. The real prophets depend on God. He did not need Ahab and Jezebel approval. Like their financial aid or their protection. He was a man of God on a mission to declare who is the real God. And to declare to all Israel... To repent from sinning. A man of prayer and intercession, he was courageous against the tide of defection sweeping the land. When difficulties come, do you compromise for the Word of God? We should learn from Elijah to be trusting the Lord even despite of hard situations, despite of coronavirus conquering the world. We trust God. We should not trust any other systems. Or false prophets let us read the second portion of scripture and see what happened from verses 20 to 29 so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel Elijah went before the people and said how long you will waver between two opinions if the Lord is God follow him but if Baal is God follow him but the people said nothing verse 22 Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us, let Baal prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, What you say is good. 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, giving them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us. They shouted, but there was no response, no one answered, and they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them, Shout louder, he said, surely he is a god, perhaps he is deep in thought or busy or traveling, maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. Verse 28 So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed midday passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice but there was no response no one answered no one paid attention you know what the stage was set the huge audience was assembled and these are one of the most dramatic stories in the whole bible there was to be a public context between the forces of good and the forces of evil on the one side was Baal with the hundreds of prophets 850 of them and the other side Jehovah Yahuwah and his lonely servant Elijah one servant and as we read from morning to evening they prayed cried begged and even began cutting themselves with stones until the blood gushed out in an effort to get bad attention, but it was to no avail. He never answered, and they were exhausted from their unsuccessful efforts. Elijah even mocked them and said, Therefore, shout louder, for your present cries are not heard. Your voice does not reach his remote dwelling place. You must redouble your efforts in order to gain his attention. Elijah knew this would happen, by the way and that no zeal on their part could change anything. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as their custom until their blood flowed. What a concept they must have held of their deity who required such cruel failure at their hands. This is what Satan do. He causes you to bleed. To hurt yourself he is a cruel God even to his people who worship him but to the opposite Yahuwah desires only healing and happiness he wants us to become more holy to heal our lives with hope because there can't be any real happiness apart from the God of Yahweh and look what's written in first Kings eighteen twenty nine. midway passed and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice but there was no response no one answered no one paid attention their God their false God is powerless unable to help his followers in the hour of need These false gods are useless for life. They are very dull because they're living in sin. Sin produces more pain. It makes us like victims. And we see that these false prophets kept calling among their gods. Almost a time of six hours. No evidence of acceptance of their offering. Everything was in vain. Loss of time. Their urge was met with no response. Heavens were closed. No tongue of fire leapt from the sky to lick up the flesh of the slain bull. The only sound heard was the cries of anguish from the lips of these frantic priests and they were oppressing themselves until their blood gushed out. Few are a worshipper of idols and continue so you shall yet discover that your God is just as impotent and disappointing as Baal Sometimes we make false gods like food Is your belly your God? Do you set your heart upon enjoying the fat of the land, eating and drinking? Is this life eating and drinking? Living to eat and drink? You have a luxurious house, have everything you need, and you are full and content of the world. This is a false world. This is worshipping false gods. Let me expand more. Technology, using iPhones. Are you worshipping your iPhone? What is your priority in your life? Is Yahweh your priority? Is His Holiness? Internet, for example, this is a false god if you use it wrongly. Where is your priority in life? Is it to show off your car? To show off your home? Nothing wrong with that, but does it, do not make it priority over your life. You want to own more possessions? More things to have in your life? You name it. Owning possessions is false prophets. You know, the less possessions you own in your life, the more free you will be. What is your priority in this world? Don't be like the gods of Baal, wasting your time in life, worshiping other gods. Let me continue to read the story from verses 30 to 40 and expand more. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me they came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seeds he arranged the wood cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood then he said to them fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood do it again he said and they did it again do it third time he ordered and they did it the third time the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench 36 At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. 37. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they prostrated and cried. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered them. We see here how Elijah had made it hard on himself and on his God. He had soaked the wood of the altar three times with water, filling the trench even. He had dug around it. And remember there is a drought and every tiny amount of water counts and is needed. And why is Elijah doing that? They could not understand why he's using all the water. This is like crazy. This is not like uh, normal. And look what happened next. He prayed. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and all Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back again look what happened next then fire fell from heaven and consumed the sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and lit up the water that was in the trench and when the people saw it they fell on their face and said the Lord he is the God he Lord he is the God so why he poured all this amount of water because water they thought belongs to the God of Baal and the God of Israel is above the God of Baal because he bring their water for the just and the unjust and he answered in fire and consumed all the water so that was the highest point of Elijah's life and he commanded all the false prophets to be slain and the offenders and the false worshippers to be removed from the nation and Elijah could call for the blessings to be restored and he went to the top of the mountain to pray for rain and God opened the heavens and poured out rain upon the thirsty land ending all the drought and this is the really God of Israel he brings the blessings on everyone and what we learn from here whenever there is evil sin injustice in a nation the blessings are cut out. Elijah had challenged the nation the northern kingdom to condemn Baal and declare Jehovah as God and he prayed that God would turn the people hearts back to him. Elijah lived up to his name and he submitted himself to the Lord in the face of wicked leaders. Who threatened his death. And when the people saw the power of God. They turned away from their useless. Deaf and dumb idols. To the living God. Who answers by fire. So what this teach us. Today. Even if you see corruption or injustice. You don't have to close your eyes. You have to talk about it in love. You have to confront false prophets around you. Look what's happening in America today. I hear a lot about same-sex marriages, gay marriages. It's allowed. This is sin. Sin is sin. We can't blur God's words. We can't give excuses for God's words. So this is sin and abortion this is false prophets worshiping the God of Baal you know how many kids just die even before they've been born this is completely sinful also against injustice with African Americans and uh, civil politics in the American history Black Lives Matter Everyone is equal in God's kingdom. We cannot do what we want. We have to be faithful like prophet Elijah and listen to God and separate sin. Sin brings destruction and injustice and equality. We need to speak out and stand for righteousness and stand what is right. Even against all odds. We have to speak out loud. We shouldn't be silent of what's happening nowadays. And we should keep praying for God to answer us. Like God answered Prophet Elijah, Prophet Elijah with sacrifice, with fire from heaven. Fire is like for cleansing. God will answer in fire. The more we stand for truth, the more we stand for what is right until we get the fire the cleansing of God in our lives we need the fire so pray for the fire to come over your life to be ready to stand with the truth the truth is the holiness of the God of Israel this is the essence of what the heart of Elijah was righteousness we should have this heart heart of righteousness and heart of holiness because the holiness will bring the fire over our lives and over our nation and over our country we need this holiness to prevail all over in Israel and in USA after this teaching I will put a worship song days of Elijah and everyone will start worshiping the God of Israel by saying these are the days of Elijah declaring the word of the Lord and these are the days of your servant Moses righteousness being restored so everyone is worshiping this amazing worship song right in its place on Mount Carmel overlooking the Jezreel Valley and then after they finish reciting this song the anointing will be so strong and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit so I'll give them like 15 minutes to be silent to absorb the teaching and the presence of God and then after that we'll head back to the bus I will lead them back through the hike and we'll help all of them to go through the right path because it's confusing path and hike so They follow me all the way to the bus and then we're going to a restaurant to a Druze restaurant throughout the years I made some friendship with some Druze families and have I will take the group for a Druze experience the Druze food and it's very very healthy it's like falafel or shawarma or a lot of healthy tasty salads for lunch. Then after that, we're going to drive all the way to Caesarea, Martima, Caesarea by the sea to continue the teaching.